Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It is my understanding that uh, Brother Neil did preach to you all this past Sunday evening on service. If, if I looked at the website and if that was correct. So I guess he kind of gave you guys a primer, uh, a warm up. And I hope you guys are, are ready to discuss uh, serving this this evening. Uh, serving, serving matters. It is relevant. Uh, we are called to do it. It's not just a, a mission trip. It's not just a service project. Uh, serving is something that we should do all the time. It should happen continually in our walk with God. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. As you are turning there, a couple things I want to give you. The first is that we will be flipping through a lot of scriptures uh, this evening. I think the scriptures do a better job of talking than I do, of telling us about the word of God than I do. So I want you to be aware of that. If you're taking notes, just know that I do have the manuscript. I do have a written copy. If you would like that, I'll make sure I get that to Hiram. I'll make sure I get that to uh, Neil and pass it on to you. I believe this is being recorded, so you also have that as well. So between you taking your own notes, uh, between the me passing that on to you, and between the recording, I think you'll have everything that you need just in case you miss something uh, this evening. I'm going to try to move at a decent pace, but just in case I go a little bit faster than you you care for, you'll have that information that I stated to you. I gave you Matthew 25. I realized I did not give you the verse. We're going to start at verse number 31. We're going to start at verse number 31. And I believe when we go, when you go there, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. I'm just going to make the assumption that most of us here tonight are Christians. Um, So you are probably familiar with Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse number 31 through the end of the chapter. And when we when we think about this, what typically comes to mind is judgment. Am I right? Judgment is what we think about. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is exactly what we should get from it. But I want us, as we're going through this passage of Scripture, I want us to, to pay attention to how some of the things play into factor with, uh, with, with judging. So as we, as we read, and just by the way, these, this passage of Scripture that I'm going to go through now, Matthew 25, and then also 2 Kings chapter 5, that's going to be our next passage of Scripture. This is probably more the crescendo of the lesson, but I thought it would be more appropriate to give it to you at the beginning so that it can wet your palate, so that I can keep you involved. I'm going to give you the big picture, give you everything you need first, and then we'll go, we'll go through and get a little bit more nuts and bolts, a little bit more detailed after I give you the big picture. All right, so in Matthew chapter 25, and verse number 31, the Bible says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And I'm reading from the King James, New King James Version. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we have Jesus 
sitting on his throne. And the Bible states here that there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a separation. We have two groups of individuals. We have those that are on the right-hand side, those that that are the sheep. And we have those that are on the left-hand side, those that are what's called the goats. They're going to be called something else a little bit later, and so are those on the right-hand side, those being the sheep. And continue on with me. For he says in verse number 34, I believe is where I left off, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. So those that are on the right-hand side, I don't want to say they made it, but they did. They made it. These are the ones that are judged righteously and they are going to be in heaven forever. And he says, this is how part of how they made it. And this is what I want us to pay attention to. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Notice, notice how they were judged. Notice how they were eventually called the righteous and notice how they had the right to the tree of life, how they had the right to be in heaven. What did he tell them? Going back, going back to verse number 35, he said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. If we want to serve, isn't that that's what we're talking about tonight, right? If we want to serve, this is how we do it. If someone is hungry, we give them something to eat. If someone is thirsty and you want to be of service, you give them something to drink. If someone is a stranger, you show them hospitality and you you take you take them in. If they're naked and they need clothing, you provide clothing for them. You do this as a way of service. He says he goes on to say, I was sick and you visited me. If we want to serve this evening and for the rest of our lives, And be on the right hand and be a part of the sheep and be a part of the righteous. Then we have to do this. We have to visit those who are sick. We have to visit those that are in prison, just as he stated. And notice, notice what the righteous say. They're just going about, it appears as if they're just going about day-to-day life. And this is just part of what they do because they say, when did we see you? Or then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And notice what Jesus says. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That is the question for us this evening. Are we serving? Are we participating in service? Not a service project. Nothing wrong with a service project, by the way. But that's not something we do and we just kind of check the box off. Are we serving people on a regular basis as often as we can? 
And if we think about it, there are limitless possibilities for us to serve. Limitless possibilities for us to serve. And we're going to talk about some of those things this evening. So the righteous, those sheep, they didn't do it. They didn't serve to be seen or to gain something. Look at their response. Lord, when, when did we do these things? Like, I'm not even having a recollection of when, when we did these things. And, and the Lord reminded them of when they did it. So it was just part of their everyday walk. Part of their everyday service. And that should be the same thing for us. Let's continue reading. Because it's important for us to talk about the goats as well. In verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and naked or sick and in prison and did not minister to you. Slightly different response than the righteous. In verse 45, then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did it, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting life, but the righteous into eternal life. Notice he called the goats and these. Do we want to be a part of the and these? Or do we want to be a part of the righteous? The righteous is going to require us to serve. It's going to require us to feed those that need to be fed, clothe those that need to be fed, visit those that need to be fed, whether they are in prison, whether they are sick. These are all the things that we need to do in order to serve. I could really stop here, but I won't. Because I think I've given all of us enough to understand the importance of service. But as I mentioned, I will not stop here. I have plenty more for you this evening. Who are we serving? Who are we serving? That is a question for us. If we knew, if we walk out this building and we see Jesus, if we knew it was him, what would we do? We would serve him every time we saw him. But we forget, somehow we forget, notice I said we, we forget when it's the least, when it's the least, it's still Jesus. When it's the least, it's still Jesus. When we are tired, it is still Jesus. Notice these are some of, some of the excuses I've used and probably some of the excuses you guys have heard and maybe you've, you've uh, used as well as to why we can't serve. When we're tired, when it's not convenient for us, it's still Jesus. How many times have we done these things listed in Matthew 25 in the last week? And I'm, I'm not, this is a rhetorical question. I'm, I'm not asking you guys to raise your hand or anything like that. Just talk to yourself about that. Ask, look, look at that verse again. Look at that passage of scripture and ask yourself, have I done these things? Now, not literally, could be literal, but we know that it goes beyond just the literal meaning of that. Any aspect of service. How many times have we done that this week? If we have not, what is your plan to do it in the next week? Because here's the thing. If we don't plan for it, it ain't going to happen. I know ain't is not a word, but I think you guys probably use that word too. And I'm going to use that word tonight. It ain't going to happen. 
Like I tell my clients, it was stated I, I do some training in addition to being a professor at Free Hardeman. But like I tell my clients, losing weight just not going to happen just because you want it to. Right? I want to serve. Well, what's your plan? What is your plan to serve? Matthew 25 is a good place to start. Feed. Clothe. Visit. Yes, I know it's a little uncomfortable visiting somebody who might be in jail. But you might be the only one to bring the Lord to them. Something for all of us to ponder. When we serve, we are blessed. When we don't, condemnation, as was stated in Matthew 25, is knocking on the door. Question for us, do we want to be the righteous or do we want to be the they, as I stated earlier? Let's turn, let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to look at Naaman. And you might be saying, well, what does Naaman have to do with serving? I hope I'm going to be able to help you to understand that this, uh, this evening. As we discuss him, um, I want you to have this question in mind. As we're going through uh, Naaman, as we're going through 2 Kings chapter 5, I want you to have this thought in your mind. Did Naaman expect God to serve him? Or was Naaman expecting to serve God? I'll repeat that again. Was Naaman expecting God to serve him? Or was Naaman expecting to serve God? Now, as we go through this, we know Naaman had a good record for himself in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1. It says there that he was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Uh, he was also a mighty man of valor. But guess what? He had a problem. He had a problem. And, and this particular problem at that time, and I would imagine it's, it still exists today as well, it's not a good problem to have. The Bible says that he was, he was a leper. He had leprosy. If we keep reading in verse number 3, or verse number 2 rather, and the Syrians had gone out on, on a raise and had brought back captive a young girl. This young girl ends up being Naaman's wife, uh, uh, servant. She waited on Naaman's waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, "If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy." She's looking out for her master. She's saying, "I know of a man who could heal him of his leprosy. If only he could get to him." So the Bible says in verse number four, Naaman went in and told her master, saying, "Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel." And then the king said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, maybe, my, maybe I'm reading into this a little bit too much. The issue, the person who can solve the issue is, is Elijah, right? But for some reason, the letter, the, the king of Syria sends the letter to the king of Israel. Maybe there was some proper protocol there, but it seems like they went kind of a roundabout way of eventually getting to Elijah. And when they get to uh, when they get to him, it's not even as if he, he kind of just happens to hear it. It appears as if as we keep reading. So they sent the letter. They sent gifts as well. We know at that particular time you, you, didn't, you didn't come empty handed. Even us now, when we go to someone's house, we usually try to bring something right as a gift. So they didn't go empty handed. It says that he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman by my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. You, king, you heal him of his leprosy. I thought we said 
Elijah was going to, to heal him. Let's keep reading. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, I am God. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. That was his only thought process. Am I a man to kill and to make alive? Wait a minute. He must be seeking some type of quarrel with me. And then now we see Elijah coming on the scene. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent him to the king saying, we have torn. Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So now Naaman makes his way to him. I find it interesting. And maybe I didn't do enough studying on this, but I find it interesting that Naaman is the one who has the issue. But look at who he brings with him. He brings his horses. And he brings his, his chariots. And it says he stood at the door of Elisha's house. His chariots and his horses, in my vernacular, that would be kind of his, his crew, right? His, his posse, or maybe his, his homeboys. And it says that he stood, right? He stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself. Now, we're going to go through this, but can you believe that? He has the remedy to his issue, but he doesn't quite like the way that it is going to be given to him. Is he serving God or does he expect God to serve him? Let's keep reading. Naaman became furious and went away, and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, listen to these things now. Listen to these. There are, there are a couple different, couple different things that he said here. This is what he expected. Number one, he expected Elisha to come out to him and his chariots and his horses. In other words, come out and acknowledge me. Right? I'm a commander. I've done these things. I'm looked at. I have kind of this pomp and circumstance. Come out to me, even though I'm a leper. Still, I've done certain things. Come out to me and serve me. Give me my props. He also thought Elijah would stand and call on the name of the Lord. Make some perhaps big scene. He also thought that Elijah would wave his hand over the place like some type of magic, I guess, and then heal the leprosy. So it seems as if Elijah, it seems as if Naaman was looking for looking for this big, dramatic type of scene. But he doesn't get that. Then he says, why the Jordan River? I know of two other rivers that are perhaps better over in Damascus. I think they're better. Why can't I do it there? So it appears as if Naaman was expecting to be served and not to serve. I guess his valor and his battle abilities... Uh, It seems as if they had gotten to his head. He had predetermined. I'm not sure who gave him the the right, the mindset to predetermine, but it had predetermined. He had predetermined in his mind exactly how his disease disease would be healed. He wanted a big show, a big event, and an even bigger spotlight than he already had as a leper. Well, this is not, this was not what's happening. So the Bible says he stormed off in a rage. Funny, stormed off still with the leprosy, though. He'd rather storm off and keep his leprosy than to do what was said in order to have it rid from him. Serve? Is he looking to be served or is he looking for someone to 
serve him? Is he, is he going to serve or he's looking for someone to, to serve him? Well, we know the rest of the story. He does follow Elijah's commands after someone tells him, hey, if, if it was some great big thing, you know you would do it. But this is not a great big thing. Go ahead and do that. He listens to him. So he does follow Elijah's commands and he ends up what appears to be better skin than he had prior to his prior to his uh, his leprosy. If we look at verse number 14, it says his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Little child's flesh is nice and we want to touch it and it's pure doesn't have any marks and all those things on it. So it appears as if God blessed him even more than prior to his prior to his leprosy. And then it says that there is no he said that there is no other God like the one that is in Israel. But what can we learn? What can we learn from Naaman with respect to serving? Who was in control of the cleansing? Naaman appeared to want to be in control of the cleansing instead of being cleansed God's way which appeared to be easier. He expected it to be his way. God is not our, as I heard Eric Owens say, if you know of Eric Eric Owens in the Brotherhood, he stated in the sermon, God is not our doorman waiting to have our laundry dropped off to him. If you want to serve God, you have to do it his way. If Lehman Avenue, and I don't know if this is going to to take place. These, These are just examples, so you guys follow me. Lehman Avenue, if Lehman Avenue is going, and I'm pronouncing that right, Lehman Avenue, just want to make sure, okay, Lehman Avenue is going to feed the homeless in between worship services. You say, you, I cannot go, that's my rest time. Can it be at a time that is more convenient for me? Lehman Avenue has an evangelism workshop planned for a Friday night. You say, uh, I cannot go then, you know, I got to watch the UFC fights. Or, or Lifetime Channel? Can it be during another time? Lehman Avenue, there's a congregational dinner before Wednesday night Bible study. And instead of going home after work to eat, just, just go ahead and come straight here, come to, the, come to the Bible study, eat and fellowship with the saints. Uh, what's on the menu? Will it be Chipotle or, or my favorite, will it be barbecue? Uh, what, what type of drinks are you going to have? Because if you don't have iced tea, then I I can't show up. Serving God is not about us. It's not about being convenient for us. Serving God does not always come on our our terms. When it does, we're fortunate, but the likelihood of that is not. It's going to be a little uncomfortable for us. But you know what happens when things are uncomfortable? You keep doing them, and then they become comfortable. So it will require some sacrifice. Are we willing to sacrifice to serve this evening? I hope so. Those were the two crescendos right there. Let's delve into a little bit more about service just in general. Service just in general. Uh, It is our goal this evening to discover and understand what the word of God has to say about service. And particularly, we want to know why it is important that Christians continually serve God. I can't stress enough, every day we wake up, we should be looking for opportunities to serve God. As I was putting this sermon together, I got a phone call, literally on Monday. My wife is here, she'll attest to this. Someone close to me, very close to me and close to my wife as well, gave us a call. 
and basically just almost just kind of broke down and stated she needed some help. She needed some help. She needed us to do a particular thing for her. And before she could even get it out of her mouth, I looked at my wife. She looked at me. There was nothing we needed to discuss. We were definitely going to help her, and we are going to to help her here here soon when we figure when we work out the logistics. But it's, isn't that amazing? Somehow, sometimes when you're putting things together, God will drop something right in your lap and test you. You're going to be preaching on this. Here it is, right here. What are you going to respond? What are you going to What are you going to say? So, in particular, we want to know why it's important that we, as Christians, continually serve God. Additionally, with there being a concerted effort, right, to build balance, building balance. We want our believers to be better and to be more balanced. That's the the theme for this, uh, this summer series. And our belief of faith, serving God, helps us in this quest. I think the majority of us here are Christians, as I stated earlier. Those that are here are those that are listening online. And as a result, we have found God. Having found God, our focus now should shift to continuing to find him through service. Matthew 20, verses 27 through 28 says, Jesus teaches about the importance of being a servant over being a great, over being great or a chief. This is where I'm going to go through a plethora of scriptures. So you may want to write these down, or as I stated, go back and watch the video, or I'll give you the, uh, the copy of my notes. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14 tells us to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 12 and verse number 28 tells us to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Revelation 7 and verse number 15 informs us that our service to God is perpetual, meaning it does not stop, it continues, and that it will continue beyond this mortal life. It says there, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So it is without a doubt that God wants his people to serve him now and in heaven. So we're going to spend the rest of the time that I have here, the next 15 minutes or so I believe is what I have, uh, discussing this aspect of service. Let's talk about the word serve. If we haven't figured that out already, I think we did from what I talked about in Matthew 25 and also 2 Kings. But just in case you missed it, here it is again. Man has served God since the beginning of time. Since the very beginning of time, shortly after Adam was formed on this earth, we see him serving God in Genesis 2 and verse number 5. If we go to the latter part of that verse, it says, There was not a man to till, T-I-L-L, till the ground. If you look up that original word, I'm not going to go over the Hebrew and the Greek and all those sorts of things, but if you go and look at the original meaning of that word, it means to serve. It means to labor. It means to do work. From this definition and from further reading in Genesis 2, verses 5 through 15, that we can see that man was put here on earth to serve God. In Genesis 2, and verse number 15, when God said he put Adam in the garden to dress it, that phrase there has the same meaning as Genesis 2 and verse number 5. So while Genesis chapter 2 is the foundation of serving, the other pages of inspiration found in the Bible reveal to us that there is more. Before we examine, before we examine the many layers of serving God, perhaps it would be prudent for us to have a, to gain a thorough understanding of the basic definitions of the root word serve. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, the word serve, serve, serving and serves, it means the following. This is a long list. It means to work for. 
It means to be a servant to. It means to render assistance. It means to be of use, to help, to have definitive use, to answer the purpose, to render obedience, and it also means homage. It should not take you long to realize that although these are worldly definitions, or I should say secular definitions, they have their place in our Christian walk. For example, when we evangelize, are we not rendering rendering assistance to people? When we wake up in the morning... And, or we lay our heads down at night to pray. Are we not rendering homage to God? I believe that we are. According to the Bible, the root word serve and its other forms, serving, serve, have significant meanings. Let's consider some of them. The Hebrew word, abad, which was mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 5, it is the most common word found of the, of the word serve in the Old Testament. This version, again, means, this version of serve means to labor, to work for, to work for another. In Genesis 15 and verse number 13, as God is making a covenant with Abraham, or with Abram, that included the promised seed and land, he told him that his seed would serve. He would serve Egypt. Jacob told his uncle Laban in Genesis 29 and verse number 18 that he would serve him for seven years in order to gain his daughter Rachel in marriage. In Exodus 1 and verse number 13, after Joseph died and there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph, he made the children of Israel to serve harder than ever. Now, this version of serving is slight different. It means they were compelled to labor or to work or to cause and uh, to cause to serve and to cause to labor. We also find this same type of serve in Genesis 27 and verse number 40, right after Esau sold Jacob and stole his Esau's birthright. God told Esau that he would have to serve his brother Jacob. Unlike the previously mentioned examples, this type of serving, it was not voluntary, but mandatory. Question to ponder, is there any service to God that is mandatory? If so, are or are not we obeying it? In the book of Joshua, particularly Joshua chapter 24, Joshua brings all of the leading men together and informs them to choose that day whom they would serve. Either God, either the God, the true living God, or the God of the Amorites. In terms of religious service to God in the Old Testament, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go that they might do what? That they might serve him. Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 20 and Exodus 9 and verse number 1. In 1 Samuel 12, in verse number 24, Samuel reminds the people to serve God in truth with all their heart. The service required religious worship and godly conversation that is in truth and sincerity, not just in show. Not just in show. Samuel also mentioned that they ought to serve God. Ought to serve God because of the great things he had done for them. Question to ponder for us. What great things have God done for us? In the New Testament, we find several Greek words for the root word serve. The first one we discover is Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10. That Greek word there, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, is latruo. It means to worship. It means to render religious homage or service to. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Notice what Paul says. He says here that he serves God with his spirit, his heart, as opposed to just the physical aspect of serving God. 
we should do the same thing. We should do the same thing. We shouldn't just serve because, you know what, God told me to serve, so I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to kind of haphazardly show up to the building, and yeah, I know we're going to go door knocking. I'm looking at my watch, and what time does a ball game come on? I'm checking the uh, my phone to see what the score is, and can you help with this? Yeah, can you help move the chairs back? Yeah, I'll grab just two or three and just kind of haphazardly serve. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be doing it with our heart. We're doing it because it's for Jesus. It is Jesus who we are serving through people. So Matthew 6, Matthew 6 and verse number 24 reveals to us our second discovery of the word serve. Jesus tells his disciples that no man can serve two masters. He must choose, he must choose between either God or mammon. The Greek word here is deluo, which means to be a slave to serve, to do service, to obey, to submit to. Jesus told his disciples that they could either serve God or man. Question to ponder, what is the conflict of serving God and mammon? And is there ever a time when one can actually serve both and be in the right standing with God? Luke 15 and verse number 29, the prodigal son's brother revealed to his father that he had served him for Many years as he's trying to prove to him, why are you spending so much time on him and neglecting me? I've been here serving you for all these years. John 12 and verse number 26. Jesus said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The Greek word for serve here is diakonio. And is our third discovery of the word serve. It means to be a servant. It means to wait upon. Notice that Jesus said two profound things for serving him. The first is that if you want to serve him, you have to follow him. The second aspect is if anyone serves him, his father, God, would honor him. After Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 15 or Luke 22 verses 15 through 20, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle, excuse me, began to have disagreement amongst each other as to who would be the greatest. Jesus quickly interrupts their conversation and tells them, and he said unto them, the king of the Gentiles, you know what they do? They exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But guess what? You shall not be so. Because he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth in meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth in meat. But I am among you, Jesus, I am among you, says, as he that serveth. Luke 22, verses 25 through 27. Serving God is, as a, is not about being personally seen, as it appeared as if Naaman wanted, as I started stated earlier, to have all the pomp and the power as the Gentile king sought, but rather it is about doing good for the world. And letting the Christ in you be seen. Jesus Christ said he came to serve, not to be seen. Matthew 5 and verse number 16. Question to ponder for us. When we serve, what is our purpose? Is it to be like the Gentile kings? Or is it to be like Jesus? You know, it's interesting to note that the word serve in the New Testament has several distinctive meanings. We serve God by worshiping him, letruo. We serve God by being a slave to him, duleo. And then by the service we give to others, diakonio. 
How do you, question and ponder, how do you serve? Don't look at anyone else. Look at yourself. How do we individually serve God? The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 37, that Anna the prophetess, she served, le truo, God through her fastings and through her prayers. Quickly, here are some ways that we can serve God. We as Christians, I think we feel like we have a pretty good concept of how we should serve God. I think we agree with that. Well, as the old saying goes, you learn something new every day. Although we do have a good grasp on what it means to serve God, an honest student of the Bible will admit two things. He or she does not know all that the Bible has to teach in general, in particular tonight, about serving. And number two, he does not, he or she does not fully practice on a regular basis what they know about serving. Just by show of hands, just by show of hands, is anybody in here serving God every day as best as they can? Just by show of hands. Okay, I'm in the right, I'm in the right place, because I'm right there with you. And this is why we're having these lessons, so that we can improve, so that we can start doing that. Benevolence. That's our first thing. Now, this is not in any particular order. This is just the way I have it listed here. Benevolence is one way we can serve God through kindness and goodwill. James chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, remember, we talked about this a little bit in Matthew 25, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What does it profit? Yeah, I know, I, I know you need those things. I'm just, I'll, I'll pray for you, though. I'll pray for you. Maybe somebody else can help you out. Now, although this passage is an analogy to having faith, but without the necessary works to manifest your faith, it can be applied to our mandate from God to help those, especially our brothers and sisters who are in need. So we should serve God through our benevolence to our brothers and sisters. They did this in Acts chapter 4, once again in Matthew 25, as I stated earlier. And don't forget those outside of the body. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Edification. Edification. Paul, in his epistle to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, depending on how you want to pronounce that, told them to comfort themselves together and edify one another while waiting for the Lord to return. First Thessalonians 5 and verse number 11. Since we too, we too are still waiting for the Lord to return, we should follow this example. The word edify, it means to build. It means to promote growth. And secondarily, it means to rebuild and repair. Now, with this understanding of edification, is there anyone that we know that might need some edifying? I guarantee you somebody in here needs some edifying. Somebody on the outside needs some edifying. Somebody at your job needs some edifying. Your children need some edifying. Your best friends need some edifying. Edification is a form of serving God because it allows us the opportunity to render assistance to our Christian brother or sister or someone who is not a Christian. The ESV The ESV tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse number two, let us please his neighbor for his good to build up or to edify him. Question to ponder for us. When is the last time that we built up our neighbor? Giving, giving. Oftentimes certain situations present themselves where monetary funds are needed. Now, this is separate from our free will offering to advance a work for the kingdom's sake. The Bible gives us examples of where early Christians gave to their brothers and sisters in need. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. We should never have the mindset that we, we just do not have enough to give. The Bible teaches us that our mindset, 
Our mindset should be based upon what you have and not what you do not have. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 12. If we know about the widow, we know that story. Mark 12, 42 through, 40, 42 through 44. The Bible says that she gave all that she had. I'm not telling you to give all that you have. What I'm telling us about this passage is to consider our mindset for what we have. If we truly believe God will bless us with everything that we need, food, clothing, shelter, we're in a position to help out. There is so much more I want to share with you guys. But as I'm looking at the time, I don't have that time to continue. But as I stated, if you want a copy, I will make sure I get it to Neil. I'll make sure I get it to Hiram. Um, and we'll, we'll do it that way. But let me, let me, let me just give you some, some highlights of what else. With respect, with respect to other things that we should consider when it comes to uh, serving God, some Bible examples. Uh, if I had more time, I would talk about Paul and his immediacy after he became, when he converted from Saul to Paul and how he went about serving. If I had more time, I'd talk about that. I'd talk about how he was reliable, how he was dependable, how he did not let a disagreement, if you remember the disagreement they had, he took one and the, the other person he had agreement, a disagreement with, he took another. How he did not let that disagreement keep them from continuing to serve God. If I had time, I would talk about some of the sisters, some of the ladies in the church. I'm not going to leave you out, ladies. I want to highlight the ladies in the church as well. If I had time, I'd talk about Priscilla and how great of a servant she was and how she was a true helpmeet and how she was a helper to her, her husband. I talk about Naomi and her being a woman of delight. If you get the manuscript, and it seems like I'm giving a commercial for the man for the copy of my notes, but I'm truly not. I want to make sure you get all this information. Um, you'll have it there. Let's wrap up. It is important for us to serve God. It is so important for us to serve God. Remember, if I go back to Matthew 25, as God, as Jesus is judging and he separates the sheep and puts them on the right hand, the righteous, and he separates the goat, the goats and puts them on the left hand. Those on the left that are going to hell, those that are on the right are going to heaven. Look at how he said, in addition to other things, right? But look at what he focuses on, their service. Feed my sheep. You fed my sheep. You clothed them. You visited them, whether they were sick or whether they were in prison. And I hope... If nothing else that you get from this sermon this evening, that this lesson this evening, that you get that, the importance for us serving. So we should be looking for opportunities to serve. Hopefully we will go home tonight or even right now. We'll start thinking of a list of things that we can start doing to serve. I'm sure if you talk to the elders here and if you talk to Neil and if you talk to uh, Hiram, I'm sure there are some things that need to be done. I'm sure there's some people that have been doing it that would love to have some help, that would love to have some assistance. So hopefully all of us will be participating in that. And if we're not quite there yet, I'm challenging you. Put it in your prayer. Say, God, please let me get there. Let me get to where I want to serve. Right now, I don't have the heart to serve, but I'm acknowledging that. And I want to get to where I can serve. And I hope that that we will do that. If you're not a Christian this evening, uh, I want you to know that God wants you to be a Christian. The Bible tells us that in several different, uh, several different capacities, several different places. Um, 
He wants all mankind to be saved. All mankind to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So the Bible gives us a, a plan, and I don't want to sound like it's scripted and kind of laid out, but when we search the scriptures, if someone says, how do I become a Christian? God has laid it out pretty plain for us. The first thing that man has to do is he has to hear the word of God. He has to hear about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then we have to believe that. Is it, a, is it true that when someone tells us something, we either say, you know what, I agree with that, that sounds right, or no, I'm not quite, I don't think I agree with that. The Bible says we have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to believe that he lived, that he died, that he resurrected, and he's back up in heaven. Then you have to repent of your sins. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a turning away from. So I don't know what the main street here is in Bowling Green, but the main street in Henderson, watch this, guys. Listen to this one. Main Street. Main Street. That's how small Henderson is. So if I'm walking down this way, down Main Street, and I'm, there's danger, there's sin, there's, that's not where I'm supposed to be going. I need to do a 180 and go toward the things that are pleasing and right to God. That is what repentance is. That's a change of heart, a change of mind. Then we need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Ethiopian eunuch did that uh, in Acts chapter 8, and so should we. Confess means to say the same thing. So if I say to you, Bobby, I'm not, I don't know if there's a Bobby in here. I'm not calling you out, Bobby. But if there's Bobby or Sally, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And you say, yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is your confession. You have said the same thing. We're in agreement, right? And not because I have come up with that. I'm telling you what the Bible says in reference to becoming a Christian. And then after that, after confession, we have to be baptized for the remission of our sins. I know this is still a controversial topic. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 21 says that baptism doth now also save us. Not the removal of the flesh, but an answer to a good conscience, right? Something along those lines. Um, I don't think it could get any more plain than that. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 or so says that we are buried with him. We make contact with his blood. When Jesus Christ looks at us, when God looks at us, we have to see, or he has to see, the blood of his son stained on us. And that's how that happens. We go down in the water. We go underneath. We come up a new creature. Jesus Christ thought it was so important that he did it himself, not because he sinned, but to set, because he did it to set an example for those of us after, coming, coming after. And that's why we should do it as well. Then the Bible says, after that takes place, we are added to his body. We're added to his body. And contrary to popular belief, that's not it. We must continue. It's not once saved, always saved. We must continue to live a life. That's just the start, to be honest with you. That's really the start. That's where we, just kind of similar to my clients, okay, you, you, you've, you've, you've given me your goals and you have, um, you've written them down and you've, you've, you've bought your exercise clothes and uh, you're starting to go to bed earlier. You're doing all the right things, 
But now we got to put in the work. Now you got to show up two or three times a week with me. And you got to make sure you're ready and continue to be ready. And this is going to be a long process. It's not going to happen in, in, in 14 days or, or 30, 28 days as some of the programs that are out nowadays. It's going to take a while. And that's our Christian walk. You know how long it's going to take for us to get to the, the point where we say we've reached Christian, we've, we've reached the pinnacle of Christianity. Anybody, anybody want to take a guess? We're never going to get there. We're striving to. We're striving to, right? But there's, every time we go back and we search the scriptures, anybody else with me and they say, you know what? Um, yeah, I didn't realize that. Or I had a wrong understanding and now I have a better understanding. Oh, you know what? I didn't look at the scriptures that way. Oh, I need to improve on this. Oh, you know what? I used to be good at this, but I slacked off. I need to get back on track. Is, is, is anybody else's life like that as you're going through your Christian walk? That's why it is important for us to continue to live a life that's pleasing to him. And part of that is service. A major part of that is service, how we serve God. So hear the word. Believe it, repent, confess, be baptized, go on to live a faithful life. Um, And we pray and we hope that God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, on that day. And that day is coming. We know that it's coming. We don't know exactly when. It's coming as a thief in the night, but we know we should be prepared. And part of being prepared is, is service. Those of us that are already Christians, and perhaps we have realized tonight that we have not done a very good job with our service, um, this is our opportunity, or anything else that we, we feel like we're slacking off on or we're not doing very well, this is our opportunity to make that known. So if you want to be baptized, or if you have questions, maybe you didn't understand what I stated, that's okay. The elders here can help you, Neil, um, Hiram can help you, I'm sure any of the members here can help you to help have a better understanding of the Word of God. We don't want to rush you into anything, we want to make sure you understand it. Those of us that are Christians... And we need the prayers. That can be made as we stand together stand and sing the song of invitation.